All right, all right. You guys are a friendly church. I love it. Finish up your story. You can have a seat. I hope there were some good ones out there. I hope there are some good ones. Anyone hear a story that you're like, I wish I hadn't heard that story? No? Okay, well, you're going to get one in just a few minutes. Spoiler alert. Uh, I am girly. Yes, I said girly, like a girly girl. Um, All of my friends call me girly, and I just decided we can be fast friends here today. Is that going to work for you guys? (laughs) Um, I'll have to tell you the story of why I'm called girly. It was my maiden name. Um, and so there was my last name all through elementary, high school, college, but it was hysterical because I was the world's biggest tomboy, like refused to wear, even jeans was too dressy for me, okay, like we were talking soccer shorts only all through high school, so it was a big joke, like calling the big guy tiny, it was hysterical that my last name was girly, and it just stuck, and then as I graduated college, I got married to a Gordy, so now it's girly Gordy, and it is just too late for me. Okay, so um, I'm glad we're all friends here. I'm so honored and excited to be here. I just want to take a moment and thank your pastors. Can we give it up for Pastor Taka and Natalie? They are the best. It is just such an honor to be here, and I am from another local church in Orange County, and I don't know about you, but I'm committed to see Orange County just change, the spiritual fabric of Orange County change, and see what God wants to do on earth in Orange County. So I love that we get to partner together with Voice Church and do this thing together, right? Because it's going to take a lot of churches to change the spiritual fabric of Orange County, and I want to do it. So I'm just honored to be here today. Um, But today we're going to talk about faith and faith that stretches. So I don't know if you do this around here, but at my home church we do this. So turn to your neighbor and say faith with some, okay, come on, you guys say it with a little faith. Like, come on, like, like faith. Like, there we go, there we go, there we go. See, we can be friends here today. It's going to be fine. Um, I'm just here to just revive your faith a little bit. Um, We're going to just ask for faith for the impossible, the kind of faith that you kind of like can get yourself out on the limb because with God it can be possible. And I just believe that God sent me here to resuscitate the dreams of old that you might have had, that you might be able to make a difference around here. I think sometimes we remember and believe that God is faithful but we forget that he, is, he created you on purpose to be a part of the story of faith on this earth. I believe that God put us on this earth for two reasons, so that we can glorify him and enjoy his presence and to establish his kingdom on earth. So the establish his kingdom on earth part is what we're going to talk about today. I'm just going to remind you that God put you here for a purpose to make a difference. So we're going to pick up today um, in Mark chapter 3, and then we're going to take a detour through the Old Testament and talk about faith that stretches. I know you don't know me, but um, my family, my husband and I moved here from Orange from Texas to Orange County about 10, 11 years ago to help plant uh, the church that we're a part of in Orange County. Um, and my youngest son, we have two sons, 14 and 8 years old. My 14 is a basketball player. He's actually playing in a basketball tournament right now. I hope he's doing good. Son, if, if you're watching, you're not watching. You don't care what mom is doing right now, but like score some points. That's all I got. I'm not a basketball girl. I'm a soccer girl, so I don't even know what to cheer for him for. But my youngest son, who is 8, that kid, he is just your typical youngest son that is like into everything. You know, like when the, how many of you have more than one child? Raise your hand. Okay, so after the first child, 
we, I don't know know about you, but I felt prey to this idea that, like, I am a great parent, right? Like, after one, you're like, I'm just so good at this, right? My firstborn was like, you would tell him, no, like, don't go near the electrical outlet. Just, no, don't you go near that. And he would just never go near it ever again. And I was like, yeah, I got this figured out, right? And my second son, he is like the one that's like, it does not matter what you do. You, any, any sort of punishment, it doesn't matter. He's still looking you in the eye and putting his finger into the electrical socket. Like, does anyone have one of those? Oh my gosh, my, my prayers are with you. Okay, so anyway, he, we went to a store recently that is like just his favorite store. And it is a convenience store. Like, this is not a toy store. This is, they just have, like, all of the candy and just random things. And he loves it, loves the store. And as we're leaving, he says to me, Mom, I'm going to make a million dollars. And when I do, I'm going to buy everything in that store. And I said, okay, <laughs> um, well, what are you going to do to make a million dollars? He said, I'm going to be a YouTube star. And I said, okay, really? And he goes, yeah, I just know I have fans out there. <laughs> And I was like, if we could just have that kind of confidence, right? The kind of confidence that it doesn't matter. The world is waiting for you to play your part, right? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Let's pick up in Mark chapter 3. This is a story of the man with the withered hand. And some versions of the Bible refer to the withered hand as atrophied or paralyzed hand. So this story seems like the setup is all about how everyone's angry at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, and that is true, and it's part of the story. But for today, I want you to look at the perspective from the man with the withered hands. Just think where, where that guy's been and what Jesus is asking him to do. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Jesus enters, enters the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for every single person that walked into this room today. I know that it wasn't by accident that anybody is here today, and I know that you have a word and an awakening for every single person in this room. So God, we just honor you with this next few minutes of our time, and we ask you to do in this room what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I promised you a gnarly story about a broken bone. That's why you got that question earlier. So I'm going to tell you my story. I identify with this man with the withered hand just a little too much. Um, August 28th of 2016, yes, I remember the day because it was that traumatic. <laughs> my, my church was taking new ground. We were moving out of a movie theater into a school, and we had gathered our leadership together, and we were casting vision for what this new place was going to look like. And my senior pastor is just a visionary leader full of all of the ideas, and he had this single incredible idea. The parking lot at this new location was long and skinny, and he was like, we're going to do what no other church is out there are doing. Our parking lot team is going to be on hoverboards. (laughs) Yeah, right? Some of you already know where this story is going. And as it turns out, there is a great reason why no other churches 
are doing hoverboards for the parking lot team, right? There are not enough waivers that can be signed in the world, right, for that. And so we had the hoverboard at this walkthrough for our leadership, and I decided I need to give this a go because, remember, like, not so girly, actually. Like, I ride skateboards. I, you know, the... It doesn't even matter. You don't need to know all that. But I can do it all. So I was like, I've never ridden a hoverboard. Let's go for it. So I, was, I jumped on it. I was great for about five minutes, okay? And then right about the time I decide I need to dismount, I turn to a friend and I say, like, hey, how do you get off this thing gracefully? Um, spoiler alert, I did not, in fact, get off of it gracefully. And they said, you know, you kind of lean back. And if you've ever ridden one, you know that is absolutely not how you get off of it. And I lean back and this thing shoots out in front of me. I go flying backwards and I catch myself on my wrist. My wrist shatters, like completely shatters. In fact, there is a person from our church that to this day tells me the worst thing that has ever happened to her is watching my arm break, okay? And I'm like, well, maybe we need to get you out there more, but still. Um, So I have a picture, and before they put it up, just spoiler alert, if, not spoiler alert, trigger warning. If you are kind of maybe a little queasy, like just close your eyes, we'll warn you, we'll tell you when it's over, but you know, for those of you who just have to know, like let's put that photo up there. Okay, lightning bolt, my arm looks like. Okay, there's a close-up. Let's see it. I think there's a closer one, maybe. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. You can take it down. You can take it down. Is it, I'll, when it's down, I'll tell. Okay, those of you closing your eyes, you can reopen your eyes again. I mean, really did it good, <laughs> okay? Um, this meant many, many hours in the, in the ER later, and then a few days later, a trip back to a surgery center to get a four-inch plate and seven screws put into my arm. I still have a really cool scar. Um, so anyway, um, this, this event was so traumatic that it was so painful in the moment. But do you know what was even more painful than the moment? The recovery. I went in and had surgery. And actually what's interesting is from the moment the surgery was completed, my bones were completely healed. The bones were good. The surgery fixed them perfectly. But when I came back, 10 days later to the surgery center for them to remove the bandages. They removed them. And also, this is not important for the story today. I just have to get this off of my chest. Um, They use staples, and I didn't know that that, like, do we, why do we still use staples? Like, are we in the zombie apocalypse? Like, do do we not have time to stitch it up properly? I don't understand. I lost my mind when I was, when I saw that. I was like, what are we doing? Why? Um, So if anyone can explain that to me later, you can see me after, because I just really need some healing from that. Um, But um, they, they took the bandages off. I have this gnarly scar. And I, they immediately, they take the bandages off and they say, okay, move your hand. And I was like, um, nope, nope, that will not be happening. Like, I don't think you understand. Did you read the file? <laughs> like, four-inch plate, seven screws, 10 days ago surgery, we will not be moving this hand right now. And they were very clear. They said, you absolutely must move your hand right now. If you don't begin to move it right now, you will never regain full use of your hand. And I was like, what? I'm sorry. I really don't, I don't think this is, it's not going to move. Like, it's been, this is, this is terrifying to me. So immediately, when I was reading Mark 3, I thought, my, I took myself back to that moment where I was standing there, and they said, okay, move your hand. Stretch out your hand. And I remember going, nope. And when I read this story, I thought, oh, I've done this with my faith. You know, the last three years have been hard on everybody. 
doesn't matter your political persuasion, your situation, if you were a masker, a non-masker, a who, what, it doesn't matter. It was hard on everybody. And what is challenging about this season is the world lost its mind, right? It's still working on losing it more. Like, just when you think that, like, surely we've done it all, right? Like, no, we're still going to keep going down this path as a society. And it's so easy in this day and age to say, nope, I'm just going to take care of me and my own, me and my family. I'm going to make sure we're good. And the rest of the world can just do its thing, right? I don't know if you thought that over the last few years, but I sure did. And I was reading this story, and I remember just feeling like Jesus was right there in that moment and saying, stretch out your hand. I've got more for you than hiding in the shadows and taking care of just you and your family and hoping things turn out okay for them. I've got more for you. So we're going to take a journey through the Old Testament because I believe there's three things that we want to take away today for faith that stretches. Three things for faith that stretches. In the Old Testament, you may be familiar with the story of the Israelites, the people of God, the people that God has picked out as he's going to say, my hand is on you and I'm going to show the whole world that I am God through you as a people. God has a real interesting way of telling this story because he takes them through 400 years of slavery and then they get out in a miraculous story. I don't know if you know the story of Moses and the Pharaoh, let my people go. He lets his people go, and they go out into the wilderness in search of the promised land. God says, this is the land flowing of milk and honey. This is the land that I have prepared for you. Oh, so long ago when I called Abraham out and I said, go, I have a land for you. He's going to take them to this land that was promised so long ago after so much hurt and pain, 400 years of slavery. Now is the time. We're going to go and take this land. And so the people set out in the wilderness. This is only an 11-day journey to get to the promised land from the Red Sea. But it takes them 18 months to get to the edge of the Jordan River. And they're looking out across the land, and they come up with this idea. You know, 18 months of seeing God's miraculous provision just wasn't enough to wipe out 400 years of hurt and pain. I think we can all identify with that, right? All the years of pain from the last few years of COVID, you can have a great Sunday morning and think, this is it, and walk back into the rest, into your normal everyday life and be like, well, that one day at church just didn't undo everything, right? So the, the people of God have, have seen miraculous provision for 18 months, They're coming up on the promised land, and they have this idea. They're like, instead of just going and taking the land like God told us to, I think we need to check it out first. So lots of things happen. They ask God about this plan. God's like, fine, if you're going to do it, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to pick out one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And each tribe is going to pick out one representative. They're going to go together as a group. They're going to go survey the land. So we're going to pick up on what happens when they come back. Twelve guys go out, they come back, and they bring back this report. We're going to pick up in Numbers 13. It says, they are saying, We came to the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And by this is its fruit, they're talking about a cluster of grapes so huge it takes two guys to carry it. However, there's a big but here. However, The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. We're going to hear more about them later. 
The Amalekites dwell in the land of the, of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. They're saying, this is bad news bears. There's op- opposition. The fight actually isn't behind us. It is ahead of us, is the story they're telling the people of God. But Caleb... Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. That's absolutely not what God said about the land. God said, this is the land that I've picked out for you that you're going to occupy, and it is the promised land. And they said, this land is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the sons of Anak. Here they are again. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So quick recap. Twelve guys go in, and they see that the land is, in fact, wonderful, but they realize the fight is ahead of them. Ten come back with a single sound. They're full of fear when faced with what seemed impossible. But two guys, Joshua and Caleb, are full of faith and courage. But upon hearing the report, the people of Israel are so triggered. They're like, nope, we've done this before. We've been in a land where the other guys were stronger than we are. We are not about that again. They said, nope, nope, we're not doing this. But today, I think through this story, we can find things to t- three things for faith that stretches. So number one, turn to your neighbor and say, you're no grasshopper. Yes. Come on, that was good. You guys are doing great. The, they said, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Who said they seemed like grasshoppers to the other guys? They came up with that all on their own. It's amazing what we can come up with when left in our own head, Right? They said they seemed to themselves like grasshoppers. What's interesting is they were dead wrong about how the other guys saw them. We find out a generation later when they actually do go in to take the promised land, the first stop on the way is the impenetrable fortress of Jericho. And we know from the Bible that the people of Jericho, the impenetrable fortress of Jericho that had never been taken before, the people that lived inside that, were shaking in their boots that the people of God were coming for them. That's what we learn later in the story. So they're dead wrong about the fact that the people of the land saw them as grasshoppers, but they saw themselves as grasshoppers, the smallness. You know, no matter what you're facing, there's nothing bigger than you deciding you've already lost. How you see yourself against your obstacle matters more than what obstacle you're facing. It's interesting that they called themselves grasshoppers. I don't know how much you know about grasshoppers, maybe not a lot, but I'm kind of like a science geek, so of course I needed to know everything about grasshoppers. Um, so let's take a look at grasshoppers. I mean, they're not cute, right? Like, that, it is what it is. They're not cute. I kind of wanted to bring them here today and just kind of let them loose in the room, but I decided that I would never be asked back here again. So um, I didn't do that to you today, but let's take a look at the next slide. What's interesting about grasshoppers and so unique about how they are crafted is that they have thousands and thousands of tiny eyes all inside this one, what, what looks to us as one eye. In fact, they're uniquely crafted for one thing, so that in their stillness, In their stillness, they can see a 360-degree view of every single threat that they might need to run from. So, you know, maybe 
grasshoppers describe the people of God perfectly. All they were doing, terrified, looking for every single threat, ready to run. You know, I think that might maybe describe some of you in this room today. Terrified that everything around you could fall apart at any second. Just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, I'm here to remind you today, you're no grasshopper. You don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to be frozen in fear. God loves an underdog. It's okay that you can come up with a thousand reasons why it can go wrong, because there's one way it can go right, and that's with God. God picked out the people of God because they were a small people group, and he could show who he is through them. God is reminding us that it's not by might, not by power, but through his spirit. So it doesn't matter all the thousand ways things could go wrong, and you don't have to live in this fear. I believe that God is here to, today to remind you that you're no grasshopper. You're no grasshopper. Don't shrink back. Hebrews 10.37, as we're setting up the famous chapter on faith, says, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. Your greatest enemy is not the giants in your life. It's how you see yourself compared to the giants. I'm here to remind you today, Romans 11:29 says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. He didn't change his mind about you. He called you long ago. He picked you out. He crafted you to write that book, to be that strong mama that stands for the word of God, to be that man in the marketplace that's gonna stand up for your faith and stand up for what's right to put gifts and calling in you, maybe to lead and, and teach the next generation. Whatever he's put inside of you, he hasn't changed his mind. Some of you have a gift to, to speak, to study the word of God and find jewels and, and things that riches that other people don't see. He put that inside of you for a reason and he hasn't changed his mind. There's nothing you could have done to make him change his mind about you. He picked you out today. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You're no grasshopper. Number two, God is bigger than the giants. God is bigger than the giants. We can have big faith because we serve the most powerful, most wonderful, most good God, the uncreator the uncreated creator of the universe. You can't even begin to imagine how big that is. And he picked you out and made you exactly the way you are. You know, if we back up in the story just a little bit, when, when, um, when they'd share the 12 guys that were picked out to go on this journey, they list off all 12 people. And there's a moment where there's a name change. You know, Joshua in the Bible, we all know him as Joshua because he's referenced that way all throughout the Bible. He actually wasn't named Joshua until this moment that he was sent on this journey. If we take a look at Numbers 13, 16, they list all of the people that are going and then they add this one little piece to the end. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Joshua, his name was actually Hoshea before this moment. 
Hoshea means salvation. It's a good name. I like it. It's a good one. But Joshua means God is salvation. I believe this is a pivotal moment for Joshua where they were, as he was on his way out, the one thing he needed to know when he went to spy the land is that God is salvation. We're not trying to figure out, do you think our crew of people can take on these people? That's not the question. The question is, can God do it? And we know that he can. God is salvation. We tend to get it all wrong. When we take inventory, we look at all the ways we've messed up, how we don't have the skills, the deck is stacked against us, but we're looking at the wrong direction. We're looking at ourselves. We've got to make a shift to it all depends on God. God is bigger than the giants. We may seem small, but you're no grasshopper, but it's okay because God is bigger than the giants. This is the basis of our faith, that we're all sinners. You could never be good enough. Jesus bore the burden of the ways that we weren't good enough on the cross. So why would God change how his economy works now? He doesn't. It's okay that you're the underdog. He picked you out on purpose. No matter what it is that you're not good enough at, it's not time yet, you don't have enough knowledge, you can't write that book, you can't start that blog, you can't, whatever it is that you think is holding you back, it's just you that's holding you back because God is big enough and he's here today to remind you that you're no grasshopper and he's bigger than the giants in your world. He picks up the burden. You know, as I was praying to come here and share this message today, I just felt like some of you in this room might be experiencing pain in your marriage. That you're like, that's great and all. Yeah, that God is bigger than the obstacle, but what if the biggest obstacle I'm facing is my marriage? Such a tricky place to be. Because what, are, what, what how do we win that? It seems impossible. And I just wanted to share a little bit of my story with you. I got married at 22 and in Texas to my, the, the husband, the man that I'm currently married to today. And the first couple of years of our marriage were so painful. I remember probably four nights a week, I would, we would end the night in a massive argument, and I would be, end up alone. I would shut the bathroom and lock the bathroom door to hide and protect myself, not from, not from physical abuse, but from verbal abuse. And I would hide in the, in the corner of my bathroom, and I would sit against the bathtub, and I would just cry. But at one point in time, I shifted my cries to leaning on the shoulder of God, and I would just picture God sitting there with me. He saw. He was there in that moment. And now, years later, I wouldn't trade those moments for the world. Because, you know, when things get rocky, when things get scary, I know he's right there. He's right there with me. And I just feel like I was sent to encourage some of you today that this, while your giant may seem impossible, it's not impossible. You have a part to play. You can begin to pray over your marriage. Even if you've given up, don't give up. Don't give up. I am not saying to stay in a physically dangerous situation. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't give up on the dreams that God put in your heart because I had a dream of a marriage that we could stand and be in ministry together. And I was broken hearted at those years and seasons where I thought myself, it's done. The dream is dead. I'll never be in ministry. He'll never be in ministry because look at the mess that is our lives. 
it is impossible. And I knew that God had picked me out. I knew that God had picked me out to stand on this stage to share his word. But it was impossible and that dream was dead. And I'm just here to tell you not to give up. I'm not, there wasn't a magic cure. There wasn't a magic moment. There wasn't a magic service where we just felt like God touched us, but we didn't give up. And I prayed circles over that marriage. And I didn't give up. And I cried on the shoulder of God in those seasons. So I'm here to tell you not to give up. I'm not telling you there's a magic moment that you're going to go home today and things are going to be different. But what I am here to tell you is that you were picked out to fight this fight and that God is with you and he is bigger than the giants. And lastly, it's time to fight. It's time to fight. You know, we pick back up in our story and Despite Caleb and Joshua's best efforts to put courage in, the people of God say, nope, nope, not about that life, not going back there, not going to be slaves to other people, not going to give up our children. In fact, they say one specific line, that our children will be prey to the people of the land. So they decide, no, we're not doing that. And God, God declares that other than Joshua and Caleb, that the rest of the, that generation will not get to see the promised land, that that group, the people of God, will not get to walk into the promised land until that entire generation is gone. So an entire generation misses out on the promises of God because they said no to the fight. They said it was because their children would be prey to the people in the land, but guess what? Guess who inherited that battle later? Their kids. They said no to the fight because their kids would be prey, but they gave the fight to their kids. Every time we, buy, we bow out of the fight in front of us, all we're doing is passing the baton of the problem to the next generation. I am standing on the stage today because my mom, who wasn't wanted by her biological family and had an, a, a traumatic life growing up, sexual abuse, all the, so many things, I'm standing here today because she didn't give up and kept fighting for her life. She fought for, to, to pursue God with her life, to pursue healing. She could have passed on, uh, passed the baton to me because we all do it to our kids in such a broken place. And I'm so, my mom is not perfect, but she fought for help and for spiritual maturity and was able to pass the baton on to me. So mama, when you are getting up at six o'clock in the morning before your kids get up and you're so tired, but this is the only moment you have to go to the bathroom in peace, can I get an amen? And to get some time in the word, don't give up. This is the battle to fight. Fight for your spiritual health. Fight for your emotional maturity. You're passing it on to the next generation. Don't Say no, don't just take care of your family and let the world burn because all you're doing is giving the fight to the next generation. What if we stood up as a people group and made a difference with what we have in our hands? You know, some of us have some really bad theology where we think to ourselves that if God really wants me to have something, he'll just give it to me. Isn't God all-powerful? Can he do anything he wants? Yes, he is, and yes, he can. But all he wants to see from you is a step of faith, a step of obedience. Don't just shrink back and say, nope, but be willing to stretch out the hand and say, God, here, I'm giving you my hand. It hurts to stretch. It hurts to remember how to dream. It hurts, but if I reach it out to you, maybe you'll reach back and heal. And he wants to do that in this room today. You know, Paul opens and closes 
the book of Romans with this phrase, faith is obedience. Faith is obedience. Just a simple yes to what God is asking. A quick litmus test to your faith is how did you respond the last time you felt God nudge you towards something uncomfortable? James 2.17 reminds us, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is obedience. You know, you only get stronger by going to the gym. You can't just sit on the sidelines and get stronger. You have to reach out. I don't know how many of you have um, been to the gym or decided to take up weightlifting or anything like that, but I told, remember the conversation about girly being really funny? Yeah, I'm all about the weightlifting. So I, the, but the first time going to the gym is so intimidating, right? I don't know if you've ever done this before, or some of you are like, no, it's not intimidating. I know what I'm doing. Okay, well, you're a liar for the first time. The first time you went there, you're like, I do not know what I'm doing. You need a friend to tell you what to do. Uh, there's all this equipment, and you have no clue what you're doing. But... You don't get stronger by staying out of the gym and researching stuff on Instagram or TikTok, right? And what weights to do. You actually have to show up at the gym and give it a shot. And I believe that that's what God is asking us to do in this room. And you know what happens when you give it a shot? You, you, you get used to like doing a deadlift. You, you're looking at me like, what deadlift? We're not doing that. Okay, okay, I get it, I get it. But just go with me on this. <laughs> it doesn't, you could be doing bicep curls. It doesn't matter. But you know what happens when you get to go up in your weight? When you're like, I can actually lift a little more than I did last time. If when you get to go up five pounds in your weight, I'm telling you, you're like, here we go. Here we go. Like, you can't see it in the mirror yet. There's nothing, like, sticking up. But you're like, I just went up five pounds on my weight today because you get stronger. The more you reach out your hand and give it to God and decide, I'm just going to take a little baby step of faith, you get stronger. So you're no grasshopper. God is bigger than the giants. And it's time to fight. It's time to get a little stronger. You know, there's been a lot of disillusionment in the world lately, like I referred to. So easy to say nope and just decide for, to take care of you on your own. But I'm just asking today, what has God called you to long ago? What were the things he put inside of you? What were the dreams in your heart? How can you make a difference in the people around you, in your coworkers, at, if you're in school, at school, in college? Wherever God has picked you out to put you, what has he asked you to do that maybe the pain of the last few years or your whole life or the fear has caused you to go, nope? I just believe that God, I'm here today to remind you to give you just a little bit of courage to decide to stretch out. God sees you. He picked you out on purpose. And he just wants to say, I'm with you. Let's do this together. There's a promised land to take. And I'm here with you. You know, I just want to take a moment. There might be some of you in this room that have never experienced what I'm talking about with that moment that you recognize that God picked you out. That God loves you. That God bore the burden for your pain, your sin, all the things that, all the ways you messed up and you know you're not good enough, like I shared earlier, that's how God's economy works is you can't be good enough. Jesus paid the complete and perfect sacrifice on the cross for you. 
So if that's you, that you've never had a moment where you said yes to Jesus or surrendered your life fully, I just want to tell you that today is your day. Or maybe it's been a long time and you've been running the opposite direction. Today's the day to come running back. If that's you, I'm going to have you pray this prayer. Why don't we all close our eyes and bow our heads? And if that's you, will you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. I know that you've given me purpose. I know I'm not perfect. God, I need you. Will you forgive me? And just make this statement your own. Jesus, I give you my life. With all heads bowed and eyes still closed, I just want to ask you to, if that was you, that you just prayed that prayer, would you just let me in on the journey? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm gonna, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to, just to let me know that you prayed that prayer with me. It's one of the reasons I exist, is to help people find that moment. So I just would love for you to let me in on the journey. So on the count of three, if you just slip your hand in the air. One, two, three. Oh, I see those hands. I see those hands. Jesus, I just thank you for these people that just said yes to you. I thank you that you are stirring up faith in this room. And we thank you that you picked us out long ago, made us for a purpose, and put us on this earth for such a time as this. God, I just ask right now that you would resuscitate dreams in the name of Jesus, that you would defibrillate people's faith in the name of Jesus, that people would be charged up, fired up, and ready to go fight the obstacles, the giants in their life, remembering that they're no grasshopper, and you picked them out to fight this battle on purpose. So God, we just thank you that you're with us in the low moments we're crying and leaning against you. And in the high moments, we finally get to see that victorious moment where it all comes together. God, we trust you, we lean on you, and we thank you for what you're doing in our life today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, why don't you guys give it up for those of you who just prayed that prayer. Come on, give it up. It's a good day. Thanks for letting me be here today.